Christina. And welcome to History Honeys. The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past. Welcome back, everybody, and happy birthday, dear. It was my birthday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Since we last talked. <laughs> well, not us. We've talked. Since we last talked to you. Sure. I, th- I think they get it. I, I think hope they get so. Because otherwise they think our marriage is not doing very well. <laughs> But thank you for uh, uh, sticking with us with our, our short delay, but it, it just is going to work out better in the long term. Yes. But enough of that. Okay. Now that we're back, we have a show to do. Mm-hmm. What's our show about? Well, I guess we're like continuing a theme almost, starting a theme. Okay. So the fifth gate at Walt Disney nope, World is... Nope, no, no, nope, no. Nope. Uh, because you have done a show on PBS. The whole dang network. Yes. Today we're going to talk about one specific part of PBS. Okay. Reading Rainbow. I can go anywhere. Like that reading rainbow. Okay. Yes. With the butterflies in the sky. Mm -hmm. You can go twice as high. That's not that impressive because butterflies can't go that high. I mean, really, they can. They can go a lot farther than you can by like just jumping. Not as far as I can if I get a plane ticket. It needs its own mini plane, a little <laughs> butterfly plane. Oh, can you imagine a little butterfly plane, a little butterfly with a little captain's hat driving the plane? Yes. Yes, I can imagine that. <laughs> It'd be good. And I like it quite a bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Someone should write a children's book about that. But how would that children's <laughs> book reach a wider audience? Well, nowadays it wouldn't. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> let's let's dive in. Let's Let's get to that. Sure. So for all of our uh, listeners who have not experienced the joy of reading Rainbow to know what it is, mm-hmm. uh, it was a half-hour educational TV show on PBS uh, that focused on growing a love of reading. Mm-hmm. It aired across the country from uh, June 1983 uh, through November 20- or 2006, um, with a few more years of syndication after that. Mm-hmm. Now, they had, uh, over the course of 21 seasons, 155 episodes, making it the third longest-running kid series in PBS history, uh-huh. only behind, what do you think? Arthur. No. No? Arthur hasn't got there yet? No. It's been on forever. No. Take that, Arthur. Be- behind, uh, sure. it hasn't been going for, like, 21 seasons. It's still going. It might catch up. It might catch up. But what's the right answer? Uh, Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers. Oh, no, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. This show, I know for me, probably for you, mm-hmm. was a big part of my childhood. Oh, yeah. Everyone watched Reading Rainbow. Everyone. The only specific episode I can remember is when he did a tour backstage on the Next Generation set. Uh-huh. Yep. That was actually... Um, before either of us were born, or like the year we were born, it was done in 1988. But I, yes, I remember well, watching like reruns of that one all I, the time. I'm sure if I were to see an episode that aired in my childhood, it, it would have like some deep memories awakened. But I cannot recall any yeah. other specific ones. That- but, but like the song, the general format, mm-hmm. LeVar Burton's manner and all yeah. his catchphrases, mm-hmm. absolutely ingrained on my soul. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's remembering like, what book do they talk about? Right. That's the hard part. <laughs> Which, and as I was writing this episode, I kept coming across ones where I was like, oh yeah, I remember this. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah. Anyways, tangent there. So Tangents here? Where's Nora? <laughs> no, not the dog. 
So, uh, the format of the show was, uh, there was always a, a book that mm-hmm. was featured that was read out loud with it filmed. And right. we'll talk a little bit about that later. And then there was two other segments. Uh, there was what they called their field trip segment, mm-hmm. which is where they connected the theme to the book to things in life. So usually LeVar Burton would basically take you on a field trip and go to the park or camping <laughs> or go interview a family, mm-hmm. something like that. Other things they can do on a PBS budget. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the show would end by kids giving book recommendations. Yeah. Um, that was like, well, if you liked this, you should check out this. Mm-hmm. From your local library. From your local library. So that was the format of the show. And we're going to go into more depth with that mm-hmm. later. Okay. But just so people kind of know out there. Um, so how did this show come into being? There were a lot of people d- involved in the development of it, and it took a while. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. One of the people was uh, Twilla Liggett. Uh, she was the one of the co-creators and the executive producer. Um, she was working at e- ETV in Nebraska, and they distributed programming to classrooms. But they wanted to start like making their own, mm-hmm. which was something that was presented to her. They, they wanted to become one of those production hubs for PBS programming. Yes. Um, So she started brainstorming different ideas for shows, and her big focus was wanting to look at uh, a show about reading. Mm -hmm. Not teaching a kid, like, how to read, but about reading. Yeah, about how much fun you can have doing the thing. Yes. Now that you know how, here are some things. So the concept originated with her and then Paul Schubeck of the Great Plains National Instructional Television Library. Uh-huh. Uh the the Gipnittle. Yep. <laughs> okay. Um and Tony Tony Butino of WNED TV in Buffalo. They also brought in Cecily Truitt Lancet and Larry Lancet, who were part of a media production company. Um they were actually also involved in the creation of the PBS show The Puzzle Place. I remember Puzzle Place. I love the Puzzle Place. <laughs> That was Puppets, right? Yes. Yes. That one only lasted three seasons, but it was great because it was like puppet kids from across the country that like all hung out. In the puzzle place. In the puzzle place. And they were all from like really different backgrounds and like very multicultural puppets. Mm -hmm. Um, And it dealt with a lot of like issues that were directed a little bit higher in age even though it's they were like puppets. It's like when you graduate from reading Rainbow. Yeah, it's like the next place. thing. But yeah, so all these people were involved in the creation of Reading Rainbow. One of the big factors in creating a show on reading was a lot of the studies that were coming out at this time. Sure. Um, around this time, there was a survey that was done by the Book Industry Study Group that mm-hmm. showed that uh, young adults under 21 years of age were having a declining interest in reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1978, it was about 75% said that they read books. Six years later, it was down to 63%. Have we considered maybe books sucked in the early 80s? Maybe. Maybe. They might have just been better back in the 70s. We we (laughs) don't know for sure. But there was this trend. There was also a trend uh, in people starting to notice that during summer vacation, kids weren't picking up as many books anymore. There was a lot more TV available Mm -hmm, and other mm -hmm. activities. 
And it was what was usually happening was when they returned to school in the fall, their reading level had dropped. And it would take several months to get them back up to the level they were at. Uh-huh. So they wanted to not only make a show about reading, but a show that would help kind of bridge that summer gap mm-hmm. and help kids that were at the biggest risk of like falling back on their skills. So it was a plan for a TV show in the summer to bridge that. Yeah. Doing like a reading show, putting books on TV, that wasn't new. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't like a new concept. Right. But only doing the summer was. Now, some examples of like reading shows that came beforehand, especially in connection to some of these like WNED and companies we're talking about. Right, uh, right. In the like late 50s, early 60s, WNED... Um, actually had a show where a nun would come on TV and read books. <laughs> um, they would also sometimes have someone come and like talk about science or sure. like from the zoo and talk about animals. This um, is the weirdest open mic night, I have to say. <laughs> in uh, 1977, they had a show called Ride the Reading Rocket. <laughs> uh, it was an instructional TV show um, that had classroom work booklets that were given to schools or schools could request to like connect it oh that's cool um it was about a puppet named rocco i sure do love a puppet named rocco giving me homework i can't get enough of that (laughs) uh he was taught to read uh on taught to read by his spaceship captain miss sandy (laughs) um and there was a lot of actual programs at the time like this Mm -hmm. where there was a connection to the classroom But what they really wanted to do was create something that mirrored more of what kids were getting in a classroom setting of where they were, you know, being asked to read out loud. They were experiencing being involved in the reading process. Mm -hmm. And then they were, you know, able to talk about books with other kids. Right. Those are like the three main points that they tried to create. Basically with these segments. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a clear yeah. parallel to <laughs> yeah. those segments. Yes, good, to the good. format. So they played with a lot of ideas. They were like, okay, maybe we should have a, a show take place in a library. And they're like, mm, people just sitting around the library. That's not very exciting. Uh, another idea was to put like the words of the book on screen and have the kids follow along. Mm-hmm. But that idea wasn't very well liked. I want to see the library club and their their big dramatic cliffhanger where somebody gets a cough. Yeah. And the question is, how long does it take for them to get a lozenge? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Edge of your seat. Um, so the creative team started to look at other shows of the time, one of which was Mr. Rogers. Mm-hmm. As most of us know, uh, Mr. Rogers was a very unique format. You know, he always spoke directly to the kids. Yes. He was a host. You had a personal relationship with Fred Rogers. Yes. Uh, Which was something that Fred Rogers was always really, always thought was really important, was Mm -hmm. to do that. And they wanted to create the same type of relationship with the viewers of what would be Reading Rainbow. Uh, So they started to, like, kind of hash out, like, this is what we're going to do. This is the format. We want to host. Right, right. Um, They got the Corporation for Public Broadcasting to agree to fund about half of the money they needed Mm -hmm. um, to create the first 15-episode season. Liggett was instrumental in getting the rest of the funding uh, to equal the $1.6 million they needed. Mm Mm-hmm. 
they happen to have a friend who knew the CEO of Kellogg and was able to get a meeting. And uh-huh, Kellogg uh-huh. agreed to fund the rest of the costs for the first season. So Reading Rainbow is a product of Battle Creek, Michigan. Yes. Okay, yeah. that's cool. Now, originally, they were going to uh, have highly regarded storyteller uh, Jackie Torrance to be the host. Uh, but then they started to realize that there was statistically a higher risk for boys to experience reading loss. Uh-huh. They knew that like a male host would help connect mm-hmm. those boys who are at a greater risk with hopefully actually you know reading. They they connect better to other boys and men. Yes. Yes. That was yeah. Like if it's more of you know a figure that whether well, more of a friend figure. Someone mm-hmm. to look up to, not that they can't look up to a female. But, but that they're not expected to that often. <laughs> yes, which is a problem. Yes, but it, it is a problem that Reading Rainbow is not going to tackle, but no. instead roll with. Yeah, they, they're trying to tackle a lot of things at once. <laughs> yeah. And worrying about who boys looks up to in second grade. <laughs> Pick your battle. Yeah, it, it is time to, to make that work for you rather than work against it. Yes. Yeah, the hope was to get someone who was on the younger side, who mm-hmm. wouldn't be like a parental figure, more of a friend, big sibling. Many people were considered, um, but it wasn't until some of the creators were at a kids' TV conference that they thought of LeVar Burton, who hmm. was there. We're going to pause and talk about him a little bit and okay. his life before this point. Tell me all about LeVar And why LeVar he was Burton. at a kids' TV conference. I am a little <laughs> curious why he was at a TV kids' conference before he was on kids' TV, yeah. as far as I know. Um, You're so- not supposed to let your kids watch Roots, okay? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> There's disturbing imagery. Yeah. I totally saw Roots as a kid, and I was, like, traumatized. This is what I'm saying. The hand, or the foot chomping, like, when they axed off half of his foot. I vividly remember that. I was like, what? Six? <laughs> what were my parents thinking? So anyways, LeVar Burton uh, was born LeVardis Robert Martin Burton Jr. <laughs> it's a very long name. I understand why he goes by LeVar. <laughs> I, I don't understand why his dad was like, no, you got this. You got to deal with all them words. <laughs> so many Junior. words. So many words. Uh, he was born February 16th, uh, 1957, mm-hmm. in West Germany. Did not know he was born in Germany. I'm going uh, to guess military family? Yeah, his okay. his uh, father was a photographer in the U.S. Army Signal Corps at the time. Ah. Uh, his mother was a social worker, administrator, and educator. Um, and he grew up mostly, though, in Sacramento, California. His family was Roman Catholic, and he actually entered the uh, he entered the Saint Pius the Tenth Minor Seminary in Galt, California, at thirteen to become a priest. Um, so the nun idea fell through, <laughs> but we got the next best thing: someone who someone who didn't become a priest, <laughs> didn't become a priest, but could have. When he he was in the seminary, um, he he says that. It was only uh, as a result of being completely immersed in that environment and that culture that he knew he didn't want to become a priest. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also said that he walked away from the seminary and Catholicism and other organized religions because he felt there was more for him to explore the world and that he could do all that without like a belief system. Yeah. I wonder if seminary is like getting an acting degree 
where they just tell you how much your life is going to suck. <laughs> so if you're not really entirely committed, if you can imagine doing anything else with your life, please go do that. Honestly, it is amazing any performers come out of an acting school <laughs> with any hope. <laughs> They're just like, yeah, your life's going to suck. You're going to make no money. Um, You're going to be taken advantage of. You're probably going to be put in unsafe work conditions I mean, if you can find work. It's very different pressures for the priesthood. Yeah. But I'm like, the bottom line, I think, is kind of the same. Your life's going to suck. It's like, great. <laughs> Thanks for telling me all that. So, oh, random fact. Sure. Uh, the seminary that he left. Uh, in the 1980s, it actually uh, started being used by the California Department of Correction as a training facility. So uh, he did, you know, graduate from his minor seminary, mm -hmm. but did not go on to major mm -hmm. seminary. I don't know. Sure, sure. <laughs> like, there's different levels. I he don't know. He took seminary in A-flat minor. <laughs> well, they called it minor. Uh, yeah. So it's like junior seminary. It's high school, but it's high for, school. for priest like, and training. Yeah, art high school, but priest <laughs> high school. Um, so he graduated uh, with the class of 1974, uh, and then he went actually to the University of Southern California with a drama scholarship. Mm -hmm. Apparently they had a pretty good drama program at the seminary, and you know, he got bit by the bug. Do you think they did a lot of Shakespeare because like, hey, we already have no women... <laughs> It's very authentic. There was a thing I was reading where he said some of the plays they did, and he's like, we did all these titles because they didn't require women. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know what? There's a plethora of plays to pick from that don't require women. Yeah, we went Good off luck. about it in a recent sex art shape for people who listen to both shows. Good luck finding ones that are, like, just women. <laughs> so uh, after uh, graduating college, pretty... Soon after, mm -hmm. uh, got his f major film acting debut in the series Roots. The aforementioned Roots. Yes. It, like, was apparently his first audition of his professional <laughs> career landed him Roots, um, which is insane. That's and beginner's luck right there. He was nominated know. for an Emmy and, like... Mm -hmm. Only nominated? Like, Roots is the biggest thing in the world. Apparently he didn't win. I don't know what one. Name any other TV miniseries. You can't. It's just Roots. No, there, there is that one on sci-fi I watch. <laughs> Taken. You're special. I am. You're no one else special. watched that thing. I just watched it. I did find it weird. I found out that apparently they made like a Roots Christmas special uh -huh. movie. And I was like, how jolly are we going to get here? <laughs> Well, it's not like they could merchandise much. It was just a little strange to me. It's called Roots the Gift. And it's supposed to be about the gift is freedom. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. when they're presenting it as a Christmas thing, I just think a lot of jolly caroling and like... Yeah. But I guess we should explain what Roots is. Oh, yeah, probably. Because some people probably don't know. Uh, Roots was a miniseries that followed like a family's legacy through slavery... And um, different generations trying to get out of being enslaved and then how they deal with their lives after and trying that never-ending struggle to make a better life yes. afterwards. And LeVar played Kunta Kinte, who was sold into slavery and refused to give up his name. Yes. And he's like the the 
starting point of the, the family history. The, the patriarch of, yeah. Yeah. It yes. was an epic thing. Yes. The Titanic of miniseries, I feel like, <laughs> in that like scale of how mm-hmm. people were interested in watching, and it was it was huge, and mm-hmm. um, it made him an instant celebrity, basically. Yeah. Uh, shortly after this, Burton started working with PBS on a show called Rebop. Re Rebop. Rebop. We have bopped, and now we must bop or- once more. But it was a show that ran from uh, 1976 to 1979. He was the host for the final season. Uh, It was produced by WGBH in Boston. And it was for viewers 9 to 15 and and focused on uh, social understanding and diversity. Okay. So, Um, yeah, you go for the Roots guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he might have gotten the the role before Roots was even, like, out. Oh, that type is... thing, you know? Like, I think yeah, it was around, yeah. probably, he was filming Roots, and then he got, like, probably signed to it before it even came out. But that is why he was at this kid's television conference. I see, I see. Um, so, so the creative team behind Reading Rainbow uh, got in touch with him. Well, they got in touch with, like, his manager or whatever, because he was actually, like, out in Africa. Um, <laughs> and she was like, oh... Yeah, I'm sure he'll be interested. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me just wait until they invent the cell phone, <laughs> and we'll see if we can get in touch. Well, the the lady was like, this sounds like exactly something he would love to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he did. He wanted to do it. Um, he had a very fond place for PBS shows, uh, for shows directed you know, at kids, and he really liked the concept of it. Mm-hmm. Um, this was also the first time that PBS like had a genuine celebrity as a host. Yeah, I mean, they, they turned people into celebrities. Yeah. But like, they never really started that way. Huh? No, he was like, <laughs> I mean, this was the biggest name they probably had. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was also still a pretty new thing to have a black host yeah for a yeah. show which is something that uh many people involved would later talk about about how it was such a great thing mm-hmm. because it allowed it allowed you know so many people to have this relationship with a host that looks like them or yes. looks different than someone that they're normally around and to create this positive relationship and who just loves reading and who just loves reading <laughs> um he wants to read you some nice, nice books that yeah. he likes. Well, and you know, a lot of PBS shows too also always have like a focus on kids that are going to be at a higher risk of yeah. Yeah. lower income families, more inner city, uh, or more rural, um, but places where maybe they're not getting exposed mm-hmm. to as many people, diverse populations. People that are not targeted by advertising supported media. Yes. Yes. How many years after this? Like, did it take for a black family to be uh, featured in, like, a new car ad? Yes. So this is, like... That wasn't until well into our lifetimes, dear. Yeah. 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 So, you know, it's... What's what I'm trying to say? Like, it's... it's, This was kind of groundbreaking for the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And I think that often gets overlooked when anyone thinks about Reading Rainbow. Like, no one thinks about that. Right. Sesame Street was a rather diverse neighborhood. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there but for the single central host and presenter. Yeah. That's that's a different beast. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about the the format of the show before, just kind of the yes. basic outline. Um so usually the way they attacked 
an episode and like planning it. It was with pitchforks. <laughs> no, it was to pick a book. Okay. Then to, once they had the story, the book they wanted to use was to figure out what do we do with this? Where do we mm-hmm. want to go? Yeah. What experiences do we want to connect with it? But one thing they always did when picking a book was check with the National Library Association association to make sure that the title was available and in circulation Ah, because their big thing was like we can't put a book out that then kids can't find right right um especially you know the day and age of where no amazon right no like it was the library or the bookstore Mm -hmm. that was it and for most kids it was the library you were gonna go to so you need they need to be accessible. Otherwise, every all the work you're going to do, you got a kid excited to go to the library and find a book. If they can't find it, they're going to lose interest. Yeah. At first, when they were in production, uh, publisher co- publishing companies didn't really understand uh-huh. like what the show was going to be about. <laughs> um, so they really were not into the free advertising that they had at their fingertips here. Yeah. And were very unsure about like, how are you going to feature the books? So there was a lot of negotiation that had to happen with the publishers and authors and artists behind the books. Right. For the first season, they had to use mostly unknown writers. People who are willing to take take the chance. Yes. You're not going to see Goodnight Moon yeah. in the first season. Um, And they also had to pay pretty much all of them uh, <laughs> for rights to use their books. Um, That quickly changed. Ah. Once uh, the show started airing and people started seeing, oh, this is what they're doing with it. This is how they're presenting it. Um, And also once a lot of books started running out of print. Yeah. The idea that you might be nervous because, well, they're just doing the whole book for free. That's scary. I would get that if you don't know how kids read books that they like. You just got to visit our goddaughter. Yeah. I read the same book to that child around 40 times over a couple days. Yes. And every few weeks, it's a new book that she is obsessed with. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So if you hook that kid once, they're going to go check it out of the library. They're going to go to the bookstore. Uh Uh-huh. And especially now where everybody has a bookstore in their pocket. Yes. Not everybody, of course, but a great deal of people. Yes. So, yeah, it got so crazy, though, that then the publishers were basically sending them every copy of any book. (laughs) I'm sure. And they were just getting boxes of books that they had nowhere to store. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, LeVar Burton was uh, apparently very involved in the development of the scripts. Um, They would, you know, come up with their ideas, but then they would present the script to him so he could add personal stories. Yeah. From his own life to them, such as like how it felt to ride a bike for the first time, or I wouldn't uh, know. <laughs> we can go rent one. I, it's too late for me now. Can do it. <laughs> I believe in you. That makes one of us. Well, you could learn to swim instead. Oh, Pick one. Absolutely not. Live your last few months of being thirty wild. They will be my last few months of. <laughs> Um, a librarian in uh, New Jersey is actually uh, credited with helping develop the idea of uh, having kids do the book reviews. 
Oh. Um, one of the creators apparently was at this library and on her desk she had a file where kids left reviews of the books they read oh that's so sweet and apparently she literally said and you don't have to take my word for it as she like (laughs) shoved over this file of reviews Mm -hmm. and this sparked exactly how they wanted to do handling book reviews is to have the kids do it Mm -hmm. um which i guess there was always some like people unsure about like well did the kids actually say that or did you coach them were they reading from the script um they were all real kids from buffalo for the most Mm -hmm. part for the first few seasons and then they started branching out to other areas but the you know the kids were coached a little bit in how to say what they wanted to say Mm -hmm. but the initial reviews were apparently all like the kids it was just like okay here's your idea Tell now, me, tell me what you like about this book. How can we, uh, as an adult script writer, make that flow a little smoother? Yeah. Okay. Here's your words back on a cue card. Yeah. That exactly. Sort of thing? Yep. Okay. Where they took the kids' ideas and just polished it a little, so viewers could understand what the kid was saying. <laughs> um, and which makes sense because you I mean you can't just like shove a kid in front of a camera and be like, "Talk." There would be a lot of uh, uh... It's good. I like the pictures. Yeah. Like. <laughs> they, they just have to cut from phrase to phrase and it looks like a YouTube vlog. Yeah. Where they just teleport two inches to the left every few words. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> no. Mentioned that they, you know, the story would get read. Mm-hmm. And they would have the the book, like, shown. Yes. So this was actually something that had, like, a lot of thought. The the way that the camera moved across the page mm-hmm. was supposed to mimic a child's eyes and how they would look at a book going mm-hmm. from one side to the other and, like, following kind of the picture design yeah. like your eyes would naturally do. Um, and what they had to do was take get copies of the books from the publishers and they would send it to a company in Kansas who would adapt them for filming by, like expanding characters and adding art to like the sides of pages or places where stuff was cut (laughs) off so as they panned it didn't just like stop right right Uh, which i thought was kind of cool yeah and one thing they were always um i guess criticized for was that the Uh... show was like slow moving Mm -hmm. and that you know like you should speed it up you should make it more exciting and they were always for corn chips in the middle (laughs) make it extreme yeah which and they were always very adamant that a kid's attention will allow them to like yeah. go at this pace. Five hour energy. You know how many books <laughs> you can read in five hours? Let's find out. Yeah. You know. <laughs> well, I think this is really interesting though, because like so much of what is made nowadays for kids is so flashy and fast paced. Yes. And like high energy, and so many people are quick to say like, "Oh, that won't keep a kid's attention." Right. Well, a kid can't help. Well, no, they can. You have to make the content interesting, and then it doesn't matter, like, what is happening around it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Darling, you just complain about kids these days? I didn't complain. Dep- kids are fine these your, days. Your birthday hit you real hard, didn't it? No, I'm not complaining about the kids. <laughs> I'm complaining that I think a lot of media doesn't trust kids. Right, right. <laughs> That's the thing. Yes. Kids have a longer attention span than people give them credit for. Mm -hmm. And you can ask more of a kid than what a lot of people want to do. But then how do you fit in the commercials for corn chips? That's the problem. (laughs) 
And I mean, I love a good flashy cartoon. I need to sell my unicorn glitter poop. Yeah. Yes. But in this case, I think it really helps how engaging and warm LeVar Burton's, like, readings are. Well, he's not always the one that reads stuff. Yeah, but all of their readers, mm-hmm. him in particular, though, he's just, like, carrying you along with, yeah. like, a big voice hug. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they do do a lot more, like, gimmicky stuff in the field trips, and there's lots of mm-hmm, cool stuff mm-hmm. going on. But, yeah, he's always, like, talking to you like he's there. I think that sets up for, like, the story to be what it is. Yeah. A, a soft and friendly, more laid-back kind of engagement. Yeah. Though no less engaging. Towards, like, the later years is when they started getting, um, like, celebrities to read books. Yes. And I was like, man, when it first started, it was just, like, kids. <laughs> like, it was just, like, random people. And then it was, like, Freddie Prince Jr. and, like, Meryl <laughs> Streep. Freddie Prince Jr., my favorite writer for WWE. Yeah, mm-hmm. really? That's real. <laughs> Freddie Prince Jr. writes like plots and stories for professional wrestling. Oh my god! Well, at least he's doing something. <laughs> I guess. As I mentioned before, um, many of the books featured would run out of print. Mm-hmm. Um, publishers would start actually making like little stickers that said like featured on Reading Rainbow. <laughs> Um, to sell their books. And the children's book market was actually booming um, because of a lot of this going on. But Reading Rainbow was always in danger of having to stop production due to funding. Uh Uh-huh. Because the show didn't have any characters to market like other children's shows on PBS. (laughs) There's no merchandising opportunities. There's no merchandise. Yeah, like Sesame Street, Barney, Mm -hmm. all those, like they could market their characters and bring money in for production. Reading Rainbow relied strictly on uh, funding from from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and then outside organizations like Kellogg. They actually at one point lost their Kellogg funding because their contact went on vacation and someone at Kellogg gave their money to a different organization. <laughs> so then they were like, well, dang, what do we do now? Um, For a while, the National Science Foundation funded them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Barnes & Noble was a funder for a year. That's smart. They're going to get that back on the other end. (laughs) Yeah. But they were always having every year trying to find new people to fund them. I like the idea of a sponsorship from Barnes & Noble. I wouldn't like it from a book publisher. Yeah. Because that feels like pay to play. But a retail outlet that like... They'll sell anybody's yeah, books. Yeah, It's a little less sticky. No, that's true. There was, for a short while, they did consider, like, trying to create a character to market. Mm-hmm. Um, possibly, like, the butterfly or something oh, else. Oh, yeah. But that I, never... I wear that t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it never happened. And they all kind of, it sounds like, look back on it and, like, thank God we didn't do that. Because <laughs> um, what would that have done? Yeah, yeah. I'm just kind of imagining a little butterfly, like, cloudy from Star. Like, being... <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, oh my god. I up. love shut reading! Up. I mean, I love cloudy in that. On Reading Rainbow? No. <laughs> a few years in, in uh, 1986, Gene uh, Roddenberry approached LeVar Burton uh, to play Geordi LaForge on Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Um, Poor which, guy. Which he did. From 1987 to 1994. I mean, he did his best, though. It has to be said. <laughs> what are you? Are you talking bad 
about next gen. I'm talking bad about how they wrote Jordy LaForge. Okay, yeah, they did write him really bad. He had nothing going on. He didn't even have a job for like the first two seasons. He was all over the place. And it's very weird because he was like one of the biggest celebrities yeah, when it like started. The se- second biggest for sure. Who would be the first? Patrick Stewart. Uh, LeVar Burton was a bigger celebrity here at the time. <laughs> really? Yeah. Patrick Stewart wasn't as well known here That's at the time when it started. That's what I get for being born not yet. <laughs> so when he got the role, he thought he was going to be done with reading Rainbow. Mm-hmm. Um, they were actually already looking for another host. Just for like scheduling and such. Mm-hmm. Um, but Rick Berman, who was the executive producer of Next Gen, uh, used to work on children's programming and basically said that he would make sure that LeVar could go shoot Reading Rainbow whenever he needed. Uh-huh. Um, so he made it possible to do both. Um, so many people who who talk about Star Trek have such mean things to say about Rick Berman. Well, guess what? He saved Reading Rainbow. Yes. Um, and like most often he would shoot Star Trek during the week and then Reading Rainbow on the weekends. The seasons were a lot smaller. They were only doing like five to like seven episodes a season now instead. Mm-hmm. But they were still letting him juggle that. Right. Now, one thing that is um, interesting is, you know, during this 21 season thing, he's obviously working on other stuff like Star Trek. So his appearance changes um, based on what he's working on. Also aging 20 years. Aging, but like hair. I mean, you um, can hardly tell. The guy's amazing. He got like an ear piercing during it. (laughs) Um, But it was like. And then he grew, like, a mustache. Mm -hmm. And there was always, like, of course, like there is with any show, like, debate on how the actor host looks. Right. Apparently, they really hated his mustache. Yeah. (laughs) Because it made him look like a father figure instead of that brother. Well, they cast him (laughs) when he was still, like, 30. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he got the mustache, though, like, within the first few seasons. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But Burton always expressed, like... Well, take me as I am. Yeah. You know, I'm still like the same person. I'm still going to be expressing the same stuff to the kids. It's just, I look different. And I think that that almost makes it all the more endearing that like <laughs> he doesn't look static throughout all of it. Right, right. Like he changes, kids change, people change. I was watching some of the clips and I was like, oh, there's your mustache. There's your earring. Oh, th- like you can see like <laughs> peekaboo. Throughout the show's like 21 seasons. It covered um, a lot of what a lot of people would consider mature topics. Right. Um, the Hardcore drug use. <laughs> what? En- ennui. So, um... Cheeses that taste especially strong. Oh. Very mature. The first episode, which is not the pilot, because the pilot actually became the eighth episode. <laughs> uh, the first episode that, that aired in the run was connected to a book called Tough Times. Mm-hmm. Which was a story about a kid who really like wants a dog, and anytime is that he asks his family for anything, they talk about it being tough times. But then his father loses his job, mm-hmm. and he like experiences his parents like crying for the first time, and like all these things. And I'm just like, 
first episode here. Okay. <laughs> we're saying later it gets more mature. I was like, we're diving in with job loss, mm-hmm. parents' emotional stress, on the edge of poverty, like all these things. Yeah, yeah. And, and that moment, one, one of the moments where you, you, you might first realize your parents are human beings. Yes. <laughs> um, not, not these strange titans of, of caregiving. Yeah. And, you know, they always had episodes that were more, like, fun and uplifting and very, like, kid-centered things, but they didn't shy away from looking at the tougher subjects that kids should know about, like, different family structures, kids dealing with divorce, historical things, and things that are also still going on, but stuff like immigration, homelessness, slavery. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was... (laughs) There has to be a slavery episode. They cast There was multiple slavery episodes. It's like saying they never did a a, a space travel episode. You cast LeVar Burton. That's why they have an episode where they go to the bridge of the Enterprise, which is when they do a book on uh, Buster Bunny from Martha, yeah. Really? The the book on that one is, is about him. When he's a superhero, alter ego. Oh. Yeah. But they also did an episode on a book called The Wall, which was about the Vietnam Memorial Wall. Um, that actually earned them a Peabody. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an episode where they filmed during a, the birth of a family's fourth child, which was something unheard of in television, in children's television. Now that is a field trip, <laughs> let me tell you. I mean, they didn't, like, show things, I but they know. were there and uh, straight up saying, like, this is where a baby comes from. <laughs> was the infant on the call sheet? <laughs> <laughs> well, think about that, though. They had to, like, they they found, like, a family mm-hmm. that was willing to do this. Like, think about that filming that they had to just be ready yeah. to go. Like LeVar like, Burton's there. Was the there. family planning to induce? Because that's the the only way I can imagine the filming working, like schedule wise. I don't. I don't know the full <laughs> details there. But in the in season twenty, there was one called Visiting Day, which focused on kids who have parents in prison mm-hmm. and um, the the family structure and life that those outside of prison have. The rest of their family has mm-hmm. and dealing with this, which is like. What other children's television show is talking about that? Right. You know, right. but that is, is such a, I don't want to say such a common thing, but it's its in so many, it, it, there, I mean, no community is untouched by that. More common all the time until we finally dismantle the carceral state. But yeah. 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 Um, they. It's not a joke. <laughs> no, no. Uh, they were always looking at things that were going on currently. Mm-hmm. So they did an episode where they focused on a book about a U.S. child sending a care package to a friend in Holland after World War II while talking about kids sending care packages to kids that were affected by Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. Or in 2002, they did an episode where they visited a school in New York City to see how kids were coping after 9-11 mm-hmm. and connecting that to a story about feeling alone. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, some of these episodes came, like, far after we ever watched Reading Rainbow. Right, right. And I'm just like, dang! <laughs> and it's amazing and great, and I'm just kind of like, where, where's the show that's doing that nowadays? Right. And, I mean, it's so necessary and needed. I mean, you, you bring up Hurricane Katrina. There are no public schools in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. 
zero. Yeah. Ever since the hurricane, uh, all of that market uh, uh, was snatched up by charter schools and private schools. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. I feel like so often approaches to stuff with kids is like, oh, they're too young to know. They they shouldn't be exposed to that. But it's like kids are living in the same world as adults. They're yeah. hearing about things. They're seeing things. And they need something that will help them deal with what they're experiencing. Right, right. And to also let, you know, to, to have a look into what, even if they're not affected by it, what other kids might be dealing with. It's such a gem of a thing, <laughs> like show that. Yes. Connecting kids to books, but then dealing with these huge social and emotional issues. Mm-hmm. Just, there's so much. There's so much there. <laughs> but again, they also had, like, fun episodes. Yeah. But no matter what, the show went on for a long time. They won, like, 26 Emmys, winning awards left and right for what they were doing. Um, in 2003, LeVar Burton uh, went on stage to accept an Emmy win. Uh, and said that it might be the last time they were up there as they didn't have funding for the next season. And that got them the funding they needed. (laughs) Um, But unfortunately, uh, Reading Rainbow met its demise in 2006. And it is all because of the No Child Left Behind Act. (laughs) (laughs) Because there weren't enough uh, uh, standardized tests offered at the end of every episode? (laughs) The No Child Left Behind Act placed restrictions on how the CPB could allocate funding. Mm-hmm. Stuff that they were producing had to focus on teaching how to do something, mm-hmm. like teaching kids how to read. Rather the- than maintaining a, a love of reading. Yes. So they were under a lot of scrutiny about what their money was going to, and they could no longer put it towards a show that wasn't teaching someone to do something mm-hmm. math reading whatever it was and they lost their funding you know they always had that funding to count on so they only had to try to get the other half mm-hmm. but now they didn't have it right 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 um and so in 2006 uh the show had to halt production there was kind of always a thought of maybe it would come back but three years later, after just showing repeats of episodes, it was clear that it was not coming back. Mm-hmm. So yeah, thanks, government. <laughs> killed Reading Rainbow. The Bush administration killed Reading Rainbow. Yeah, yeah. Now, LeVar Burton was very busy over these years. Well, uh, yeah, if he's making five, six episodes a year of a show that can't keep the lights on, I would hope so. Uh, he, he was also... Um, uh, did voice work for Captain Planet and the Planeteers for 113 episodes. Yeah, he, he was Kwame. Yeah. Uh, he directed dozens and dozens of films and TV episodes, including multiple things for Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, <laughs> um, some NCIS, he never Charmed. Did a- he never did any of the movies. Because he was in those. He- Jonathan Frakes directed <laughs> one of the movies. Yeah. I think it was First Contact? Like, well, he was the too- good one? <laughs> it is the good one. Well, he was too busy directing, like, I don't know, 12 episodes of Deep Space Nine. I guess. Um, he also directed the Disney Channel original movie Smart House, which it's I did not, not know. I did not know that. It's not very it's good, not no. Good. I'm sorry, but it's not. But I was like, what? My childhood <laughs> has been changed. I'm not going to say it's his fault. I think it's a script issue. It is a script issue. <laughs> um, very much a script issue. 
he he serves on the board of the AIDS Research Alliance. Um, he executive produced and hosted a documentary called The Science of Peace in 2007. What's that about? Uh, it looked at different science and technology things that were working towards and could help create world peace by solving other issues. Okay. So now we get to some more current stuff, which some people might have heard about. Mm-hmm. In 2010 to 2011, uh, LeVar Burton and Mark Wolf worked to get the rights to Reading Rainbow from WNED. Because they clearly weren't going to be able to do anything with it. Yes. Um, so they formed RR Kids, a new media company for children. Um, and they... Uh, created an app for the iPad uh, that was developed in 2012 um, that had a subscription fee but allowed kids to read unlimited books and Mm -hmm. explore like video field trips. So like a mobile reading rainbow. That's cool. Unlimited books, I like. Gating through an iPad uh, app, don't like. I, I understand that you don't have access to free broadcast television, but I really like the fact that it was free broadcast television. Yes. I looked it up because it does still exist. Um, and it's like three ninety nine mm-hmm. or something. I don't know. It wasn't ex- like it wasn't ridiculous. Yes. And but the cost there is being a, a family with an iPad. Yes. Yes. There are problems. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, well, here's part of the thing. The the licensing rights which would become part of something we're going to talk about in a little bit, basically gave them the right to develop digital uh, media uh-huh. only. Uh, Not anything for the TV. Ah, uh, I see. WNED kept the rights for a television show. Right. Like their licensing agreement was like once they do it, uh, create a show, there'd be like a profit split. There- but LeVar Burton, like, RR Kids did not have the right to do it. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't, and so they could only create these other types of media. I would guess that that right split is in part so that uh, WNED can continue licensing it for syndication? Well, I mean, they didn't want anyone else to create anything like that, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was a big part. Right. But also, yeah, probably with the syndication. So, but with this app, in 36 hours, it became the most downloaded educational app in the iTunes store. <laughs> um, and 18 months later, 11 million books had been read and field trips watched. <laughs> so it's popular. It is, that sounds successful. <laughs> it, it seemed to have been filling like a need. There, there was a niche there. Yeah. And again, like, not everyone has access to those devices, but they are becoming more common. Yes. It's, it's much more common that people have such devices. Uh, in May 2014, uh, they launched a Kickstarter campaign um, to develop the Reading Rainbow program for like a classroom setting. Basically like a larger version of the app, but <laughs> directed for teachers to use as right. like a teaching resource. Right. So the Kickstarter was to fund the app development, or not app development, but the software um, development and programming, and then it would also give uh, free access to 13,000 classrooms. Um, The initial goal, if you remember, because this was like a big deal, (laughs) uh, of 1 million was met in 11 hours, 5 million was met by 24 hours in, and at the end, um, thanks to the contributions of... 105,857 people, 
Um, along with some other more corporate contributions, they had $6.5 million. We're in there. We're one of those people. Yeah, I think we give them 20 bucks. We might be two of those people. <laughs> yeah, we might have both been. I don't remember. <laughs> um, it set the record for most backers and um, was the eighth highest money earning thing as of June two th- or 2015. And I'm just like, what else was higher? Uh, Pebble Watch. Always that stupid smartwatch. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, now the Critical Role uh, animation thing, but that's just in the last, like, that's currently running. Oh. Uh, I don't pay attention that much yeah. to know. Um, so in 2017, uh, LeVar Burton launched a podcast called LeVar Burton Reads, uh, where he reads a short story each episode. Uh, and this is focused for adults. Mm-hmm. Um, and currently there are about 40 episodes. This is the only podcast that I will let people listen to more than ours. Yeah. Without any twangs of jealousy. Yeah. In August 2017 is where things get a little nuts. In August 2017, uh, WNED filed a wide-ranging lawsuit against Burton and RR Kids. They claimed that the licensing agreement was breached uh, since RR Kids was only supposed to take over digital development. And NED was supposed to be in charge of the show. The right. Kickstarter violated that because of this, uh-huh. like, teacher program. Okay. Wasn't just be, like, it was digital, but I guess they felt it was too close to reviving the show. Right. Um, and they also claimed that LeVar Burton was in secret negotiations negotiations with Netflix. Ah. I haven't heard anything about whether that was actually a thing. <laughs> uh, they wanted RR Kids to hand over administrative access to the website and social media accounts. And they also wanted to bar LeVar Burton from saying, but you don't have to take my word for it on his podcast. Uh-huh. Uh, they said that he was falsely representing himself as the representative of the brand. If any one person in the world... Is the representative of the Reading Rainbow brand. Yes. <laughs> like, that charge only makes sense to me as a not-lawyer person. Yeah. If you're saying that there is no such thing. Yeah. <laughs> not uh, that it is not LeVar Burton. He was the face of it <laughs> for 21 years. In that case, you should be saying he can't use his face. Yeah. His, I mean, his face, writing the scripts, developing the format... Doing fundraising on the stage at the Emmys. Yeah, I mean he he didn't he didn't create the show. He 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 influenced the scripts for sure. But I mean, yeah, like he was as much involved though as like you have one host for <laughs> twenty one seasons. You can't like try to draw like a line of like you're you're representing us and you shouldn't be. He's mm-hmm. always going to be representing you. Yeah. The in October of twenty seventeen they settled. There was a settlement, which the full outcome is not released. So I can't say exactly what happened. Which is pretty normal for settlements. Um, uh, LeVar Burton credits a lot of fan outpour of support of the fact that of what we're talking about, where like he was pivotal in the show having, you know, being as successful as it was. Yes. Um, There was a lot of backlash about what was going on here. From what I do know, RR Kids is no longer um, licensed to the Reading Rainbow brand. Um, and it really just doesn't exist anymore, <laughs> as it was. Um, there's now LeVar Burton Kids, 
the sky skybrary that's what they called like the teacher thing that was under development mm-hmm. and the app that he created for um personal use are still going a skybrary like yes. a library that lives in, in the, the cloud yeah i see yeah. i get it so I those like it. those things still exist um some of the naming has changed on it and it connects <laughs> it to him instead of reading rainbow uh-huh. um but the skybrary still has the same format that they promised where it was book resources and like the video field trips that he stars in and he is now legally allowed to say the phrase but you don't have to take my word on it. He can say that as much as he wants. <laughs> and so can I. This is America. I mean, I have personal opinions on it, but <laughs> I don't I don't know things like as an attorney, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the, you know, business side of it is probably very different. Mm-hmm. Lots of wording of contracts was probably very important, but right. this is the first I've learned about this this suit. And the charges and the the settlement. So I'm not going to to voice an opinion. Yeah. I will later voice one that that will be based on what what WNED planned to do with uh, the the rights to the show, and to what ends. Mm-hmm. If they are trying to protect Reading Rainbow in their own way to accomplish its mission, all power to them. And I'm sorry that it had to become an ugly court thing. Yeah, but it's been about 13 years, and it's they haven't done anything with it. about 13 years. Every year, I feel like I hear something else about, like, oh, talk about Reading Rainbows coming back. I know I've heard something this past year about it, but so far, nothing's happened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like, well, what are you waiting for? And it, But it, it was hard enough to, to make it run when it was running, and I, and I recognize those difficulties. Just think, all the people our age who grew up with it now run corporations. You go talk to the person at Kellogg. Yeah. They're probably our age. They'll be like, yes, I'll support Reading Rainbow. Here you go. (laughs) So that is the the story of this show. The creation, what it did for the community, people. And what's recently happened, which is a whole lot of craziness. For several generations of American youth. Yeah. And I just thought it'd be interesting to look at because I think we talked before after the PBS thing, like someone was like, oh, you should do a thing on like Fred Rogers. But I was like, well, someone did a documentary on that. I don't. Everybody cries and he's a bi icon and we all love him. I'm like, I don't feel like I can (laughs) do justice to that. Like it's already been done. I was like, I don't know anyone that's done reading Rainbow. So let's visit that. Yeah, yeah. So, darling, what did you learn other than lawsuit? I, <laughs> I learned more about the shape of LeVar Burton's career. Yeah. Because, like, a lot of this stuff was happening sort of concurrently, but sort of not. And all the stuff that happened before I was the age of, say, four yeah. kind of runs together in my head. And yeah. I don't really... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's so easy to think of, like, someone's career, you think, okay, they did this, and then they did this, and they did this. But when someone's doing something for 20 years, and then something else for, like, 10, and then Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you start to put into perspective, and you're like, wow, that's crazy. (laughs) How are you in all these places at once? And to think, like, okay, he's doing Star Trek, Reedy Rainbow, and Captain Planet mm-hmm. all at the same time. We're also yep. directing some of Star Trek at the same time. why not? Uh, <laughs> and then all the other things he was in. I would love it if, like, there is some behind-the-scenes footage of, like, 
the first scene with Locutus yeah. and everybody's like really in character and it's really intense. And then some PA runs on the set like, Mr. Burton, Mr. Burton, that lady is going into labor. We have to film Reading Rainbow right now. <laughs> I read something too that I thought was interesting. Um, it was like a quote from an interview with him, almost joking, like, you know, I went, I was in the seminary mm-hmm. and I was going to become a priest. And then, like, through reading Rainbow, it became this other type of, like, connection to, like, people's souls and, like, yeah, how, is, you know. it is a ministry of a sort. Yeah. And, it, yeah. like, and he wasn't talking about it in a religious way or anything, but more right. about, like, kind of, like, the human spirit and, yes. like, need to learn and just to, like, help kids become who they are. And that was, like, the way he was talking about it. But, like, you know, I found this other calling in this, which I thought was interesting and, like, he he could have left at any time to mm-hmm. go do other acting, but he was obviously very invested and is still very invested in what the concept of reading Rainbow can do. Well, with that, we're going to take a quick break and be back with three weeks of letters. Yeah. Welcome back, everybody. Hello. We have so many letters from you, so let's read them. Yeah. We first heard from Alex and Faye, uh, who want to tell us about their favorite band, which is hard to narrow down because Faye has about 700 CDs and counting. Wow. After some prodding and some hard decisions, she's going to settle uh, on Nine Inch Nails and had a fantastic time seeing them last year at the Royal Albert Hall. Uh, So Alex is going to bend toward Daft Punk instead, although his favorite album is uh, Teresa's The Varangian Way, which is folk-influenced heavy metal. So there you go. Wow. Their favorite kidnapping centers around another historical figure, Vlad Tepish, also known as Vlad Dracul, or Dracula. He and his brother were held hostage by the Ottomans to keep their their pops, who was ruler of Wallachia at the time, under control. Later, after he regained his freedom, he started impaling people, which is another one of his favorite names. Vlad Vlad the Impaler. Yeah, Yeah. like you do. Like you do. We also got a pair of pictures of their their fluffy little cat, Freddy. Aww. And I'd like to thank you for backing Final Bid. Uh, If anybody else is interested in checking out Final Bid for themselves, no Kickstarter needed. It's just in stores. Specifically, the digital storefronts DriveThruRPG and Itch.io. Yeah. Yeah, that's itch.io. Thanks, Alex and Faye. Rick writes in uh, to share their favorite band, uh, and they're going to go with Streetlight Manifesto and frontman Thomas Kolonsky's solo work. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Rick also shared some more pet photos of Roxy, Yoda, and Crybaby. Still not sure those are separate cats. (laughs) They're even looking in the same direction. <laughs> Thank you, Rick. Maybe Rick's just messing with us. <laughs> Someone's going to send us, like, six pictures of, like, their dog and be like, yes, this is Huey, Dewey, Louie, Mickey, Minnie. And Bluey. And Bluey. <laughs> George writes in with a pair of older prompts. Eh, older-ish. 
Uh, George's favorite detective is Nick Valentine, the synth detective from Fallout 4. George's favorite painting is a mural that probably has a name, though he does not know it. Uh, he, he shares a picture, and the mural is of a man painting a mural as part of a series of murals in Belvedere, Illinois, which you may know as the City of Murals. Oh. It's just murals all the way down. Thanks, George. Hallie wrote in uh, and first shared a podcast recommendation with us. The Strange and Unusual Podcast, as it is called, uh, apparently is a storytelling format that focuses on historical uh, context behind spooky stories, lures, and habits that are in our everyday life. Um, things like Bloody Mary and things like that. So that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. I haven't checked it out yet. I'm really bad at podcasts, so maybe I will. I don't know. Darling, but it you sounds did a great cool. job today. I'm really bad at listening to other people's podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> but it does sound really cool. So thanks for sharing that. Uh, again, everyone else, that was the Strange and Unusual podcast, if you're interested. Uh, Hallie also answers prompt number 71, which was favorite band, and they go with Panic at the Disco, which, yeah, they're good. I saw them in concert a while ago. I was highly impressed. I became more interested in them after seeing them accidentally in concert. <laughs> accidentally? I was like, well, accidentally. You just I, tripped and fell into well, a venue? I was there for the other band, and then I was like, oh, I should listen to Panic at the Disco. They're good. <laughs> Prompt number eight, favorite amusement park ride. Uh, Hallie is going with the Harry Potter area of Universal Studios, specifically the Castle Ride. That's uh, Harry Potter at the Forbidden Journey. Ah, and uh, apparently I don't want to go on it because there's a thing where like water squirts on you like it's coming from a spider. <laughs> so thanks for warning me. I won't go on it. Prompt number nine, favorite public speech. Hallie is going with The Last Hope Speech by Harvey Milk and The Ain't I a Woman by Sojourner Truth. And uh, lastly, uh, she shares some pictures of Rome and Cal. Uh, in the snow. Those are dogs, by Those the way. Those are dogs, and they're cute. <laughs> I really like no, the one dudes. that was sticking their tongue out to catch snowflakes. That was very cute. good. That Love was, it. Yes. Thank you very much. Joe writes in, and they're actually from Olympia, but still did not know that much about the Riot Girl scene we mentioned in our last episode. It happens. I suppose there may not be a lot of plaques around town commemorating these things. Maybe not. Uh, but they send us yet another cool wolf fact. Uh, the, the whole, like, social organization of wolves, you know, your alphas and your betas and whatnot, was based on flawed research that even the uh, uh, researcher uh, ha has recanted uh, because it does not reflect wolves in the wild at all, and certainly not any other creatures like, say, human beings. In fact, groups of wolves in the wild are led by uh, uh, the breeding pair, a leading male and a leading female, uh, and the female is often the more aggressive of the two. So if you want to uh, use that to, to shape your idea on how to meet women in bars, you're still stupid, but at least you're less stupid as far as wolves go? Sure. Sure. Joe also sends some... Uh, uh, Latin, which I don't read, so I'm not going to read it out loud. <laughs> it's probably nice. Thanks, Joe. 
Uh, Jeff shares his favorite extinct animal, which is the woolly mammoth. As a kid, he got to go on a field trip to see a skeleton that was found of it very near where he lived. Aww. Uh, also favorite band is Animal Collective. And favorite album, Strawberry Jam. Are you sure that's not favorite jam? <laughs> I know it's, it's a, a, a yeah, a bit goofy. And Jeff shares some pictures of Phineas. Yeah, our inbox is looking like an animal collective. Uh. Everyone knows I like animal pictures, and they're being very nice. <laughs> Happy birthday, dear! Yay! Thank you, Jeff. Rosemary writes in for the first time after listening for quite a while. Thank you very much, Rosemary. Uh, her favorite band is Lake, uh, which is in all caps. So it's pronounced Lake. Yeah. 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 Uh, Lake is coincidentally uh, enough also from Olympia. They have a 70s-ish sound uh, and, and they sing about love and communication and being soft and quiet. They, they sound like a guitar, but a blanket. Yeah. Yeah. A quilt with drums. Uh, they did the ending track in Adventure Time uh, and a bunch of other work featured on the show as well. Speaking of Olympia punk bands, more in line with uh, uh, our most recent topic, uh, she wants to point out Gloss, Girls Living Outside Society's It's a lot of S's. But they have aggressively feminist themes focusing on trans women and trans feminism. You got two EPs to check up on and nothing else because then then they broke up. But it's great. So check it out. Of course, while Lake may be a great band, they are not Rosemary's favorite musician. That would be Sybil, her girlfriend, who she met in 2018, ticking off another past prompt, favorite thing that happened last year. Yeah. And if if you want to go for a hat trick, uh, something she's looking forward to in 2019, spending another year together. Aww. So sweet. Uh, her favorite extinct creatures are uh, this genus of enormous proto-fungi that got up to eight meters tall uh, back in the late Devonian. So if you're into gigantic fungus, check out the, the proto-taxites which is not technically an accurate term, but it's the name we got. Uh, We also got a show suggestion and some more dog pictures. Diesel is, quote, a big fat baby who wants attention all the time. Diesel's very cute. We love Diesel. And you can also uh, check out some really cool art from Rosemary on her Twitter. That's at Blood Enthusiast. (laughs) That... I can't imagine how you found our show. I love it. I love it. If my Twitter name wasn't what it is of being all cutesy, it would be something like that. (laughs) So thank you very much for this this wonderful letter and Diesel and uh, your art and, you know, just writing in general. Thanks for everything, Rosemary. Uh, Sam writes in and answers uh, favorite extinct animal and goes with the dodo. Popular choice. Yes. Uh, Sam also talks about the fact, though, that even if humans hadn't killed them all, um, they probably wouldn't have lasted very long either, though, because they were pretty easy prey to human pets and farm animals. That still counts Um, as humans, if you ask me. Who who put the pets there? Yeah. I mean, they were still involved, but, like, actively... If they didn't shoot them all. Okay, okay. Um, Because their nests were on the ground, their eggs were easy pickings, Mm. um, stuff like that. 
Always keep your dog on a leash when you're going to the beach. Yes. The shore birds will appreciate it. Yes. Isn't that right, Moki? Yeah. Uh, Sam also shares a fun fact that apparently we don't actually know how big dodos were because the last stuffed dodo was mistakenly thrown in a fire. I need to learn more about that. How do you mistakenly throw something in a fire? I don't know. Sam go uh, also answers favorite kidnapper being O.J. Simpson, <laughs> who was technically convicted of kidnapping uh, along with armed robbery charges in 2008, but the kidnapping was added... Because when he was robbing people, he pointed a gun and said, nobody move, which technically qualifies as kidnapping. Uh-huh. I guess. I can't wait until he writes a book about that one. Yeah. Favorite band? Uh, Sam says, since Tom Waits is not a band, they will say Pink Floyd. <laughs> and we also get a shout out for uh, our Heather's Sex Archie episode. Yeah. Um, which has apparently made Sam very obsessed with the show. Yes, and yes, And playing he is. the music. And also asks if we are familiar with Reefer Madness, the musical. I know of it. I've never seen it or listened to it or experienced it. Have you? I have not, no. No. Maybe I will, because I like Heather so much. Same creative team. If you would like to learn all about Heather's the film, Heather's the musical, Heather's the slightly reworked musical that, that just finished its West End run, you should check out a recent bonus episode of Sex Archie. We talk about it mostly in the framework of Riverdale Tomorrow, airing an episode <gasps> where the kids put on Heather's the Musical. Oh my gosh, it's so soon. But it is not necessary to be interested in the show to, to follow, I would say, 80% of the content. No, yeah, it's true. Up until we start talking about what uh, the show's casting means... It's, it's all really just about Heather's stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and with that, if you want to write in like one of these fine folks, mm -hmm. uh, you can send us an uh, answer to a prompt, so show suggestion, correction, just chat, send us some animal pictures, and those can <laughs> all go to... HistoryHoneysPodcast at gmail.com. And yes, I would like to thank everybody for all the, the wonderful words and... Double thank you for the uh, the birthday pets. Yeah. Darling, do you have a prompt? For our next episode, I would like to hear people's favorite origin story. Now, th this is usually a term that is meant for, like, fictional characters. And, like, okay, if that's your favorite, that's fine. But just a, a story of where something came from. Why is this city in this place? How did this person start down the path that led them to what we know them for? In a broad sense, I would like to hear your favorite story of where something came from. Okay. Yeah. Again, where can those go? HistoryHoneysPodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Uh, you can also uh, leave us a rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, your podcast listening device of choice. Consider it a belated birthday present. For me! <laughs> you can also go out and tell a friend... I bet if you grew up in the United States any time in the last 35 years, you and your friends have reading rainbow memories. Yes. Uh, so why not share uh, uh, this episode and, and go have a bit of a nostalgia trip about an animated butterfly and a disappearing and reappearing mustache? Yeah. Yeah. Take a look. It's in a book. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. All those things. All those things. That's where the mustache is. <laughs> <It's> a, oh. 
to the book. It's going to get down into the spine and you're going to yeah. blow, but it's never yes. all going to come no, out. No, it's just going to be there. That's gross. Why Watching are you gross? You. Why are you gross? <laughs> you heard it here first. LeVar Burton's mustache is in a book somewhere. And like library circulation, it could be in every book by now. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. You know those random hairs you find in books? Those are the hairs of Caesar. <laughs> We need to stop before I say <laughs> before I say more dumb stuff. Okay. So that I'm Grant. I'm Elena. And history's better with, with your honey. honey.